This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm David. And today we're going to talk about Dreamwalker by Russell James, uh, audiobook that David, you found for us and narrated and, uh, how did you come across this? Was it an ACX project? No, this actually was uh, through Audio Realms. Um, oh. oh. Um, pretty much I, I had uh, met up with uh, the guy Fred Gottsmark, who um, was the representative I was dealing with there. And mm-hmm. um, he, uh, I, I did a number of books for him, and this was just one that came, uh, I guess, in 2014. I'm, it's, a, it's a while back. Uh, it, he assigned it. I read it, I narrated it, and I really, really liked it. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you get a book that is, uh, you know, they're, they're all good, but uh, this one just really spoke to me because it seemed uh, there were a lot of very unique ideas, and uh, the execution was very, very fine, too. So um, that's how I came to, to narrate it. Yeah, I, I, I would say it's, it's a workmanlike, exp- uh, you know, exposition but the idea the premise is is so unusual for almost anybody to write anything like that and uh i i was really going with the ideas all through the story and the story is it's fine it's mm-hmm. it's it's good um i'm not a romance guy so it's got a lot of that um it's got sort of you know the uh, the villain of the piece and that sort of thing but um the premise is so good and the setup is so good that uh, half the half the thing for me, you know, is is thinking about the ideas during the book as it's going, and it goes a, a, most of the places I thought it might, which is you know it makes you feel smart when you're <laughs> you're going with it. But uh, I I really like the premise, and I I also like that the character has this disability in life that is uh, sort of mirrored by a, an ability in in the waking or the sleeping life yeah 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 uh, he he balances it very nicely and and the uh, the female too as we i don't know how many spoilers we want to throw out probably not all this. of them okay. all of them oh, okay okay <laughs> but the fact that the female is is almost brain dead technically and is in is in a coma and completely uh uh unable to function in what we call the real world and that her entire existence is over in the dream sphere and that Russell uh, Russell right that Pete our protagonist seems to be able to straddle the two with equal facility um, I don't know do you know the Calderon play life is a dream no no I like the title though oh that's a it, this is by Calderon who was uh, a Spanish contemporary of Shakespeare's actually and uh, I was at the Yale Drama School the year that they did that as part of their repertory at the Yale Rep, and uh, I was very taken with it. Uh, uh, life is a dream, and it's 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 uh, it's a, a, a common theme, of course, in Western literature. But uh, the fact that uh, they wrote this before we had VR sets, virtual reality, and all this crap, and uh, the 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 
the conceit of the play is it's kind of an Oedipus thing. There's a prophecy in the court of Poland that this uh, newborn kid is going to kill the king or his father or something. Mm-hmm. He's going to be problems. So as a baby, he's taken all away from the court, and he's raised out in the country in a wild cave. And uh, he's raised all by himself in a cave, uh, can't get loose, and uh, he thinks he's a beast, and it, it turns out that uh, the uh, heir to the throne dies, and all of a sudden this, this prince of royal blood is needed, and uh, they feed him some kind of poppy juice or something that makes him completely fall asleep, and, oh. insta- and they pick him up from his cave, and while he's asleep, they take him to the castle, Mm-hmm. And uh, dress him in royal robes, and when he wakes up, it's uh, that would be a mind screwed. Uh, if mm-hmm. you've been living in a cave all your life, you wake up one morning, and now you're in this uh, royal Shakespearean Elizabethan court, surrounded by all these people who want to do stuff for you. And uh, they flip-flop back and forth between his two realities. He gets a little bit too rambunctious, so they have to drug him and take him back to his cave, and he wakes up. And and it's a a very interesting uh, play on what is reality. Hmm. You know, uh, that uh, contemporary of Shakespeare, Shakespeare does this too. This is the coolest thing that everybody, uh, I mean, everybody knows Midsummer's Night's Dream, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. But... But actually, there, the Taming of the Shrew has uh, something called the Induction, which uh, none of the other plays, as far as I know, have anything like. At the beginning, uh, there's this little story uh, of it's a framing device for the the rest of the play, mm-hmm. which which is that uh, some boisterous young men. <laughs> Decide to, um, in celebration, decide to uh, find a hobo or the equivalent thereof in Shakespearean <laughs> times and make him think that he is a lord. And they ply him with wine, um, then take him and dress him up in lord's finery, put him into the lord's bed. And then pretend to be his servants. And when he wakes up, he says, "I, what, what are you doing? How did I get here? And they say, oh, lord, you've been... You've been uh, sick, and you've just come out of your fever. And but I'm a hobo, he says, right? <laughs> oh. says, no, no, you're a lord. That is the fever, my lord. Yeah. And then the rest, uh, the rest of the story is framed with, um, here's some entertainment for you, my lord. Right. Right. Oh, I completely have forgotten about that. About I should know sure. that. I was in a production of. Well, I, I we never actually went all the way to production, but I rehearsed Taming of the Shrew for several weeks, uh, several years ago, and I'd completely forgotten the frame. The frame. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why. Uh, why it's. I mean, it doesn't really need to be there, but I love it, and I think they drop it often because it it is not actually fully integrated into the into the rest of the story. Right. It's right. just. I mean, they do come back to it with some asides and such, but um, it's 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 more like a wonderful look at Shakespeare showing off his his humor and you know with the play within the play is a thing he does a lot. Yeah, yeah. Now, here, I, I I mean, I I think that the dream story is improved um, by having the framing in this story as well, right? We've got this guy; he's in school. He can't. Uh, he can't really handle walking around the campus in a direction he's not been before. Yep. He's uh, 
can't really tell people <laughs> about his amazing superpower, which is he can dream the same sequence sequence of sequels of dreams from previously, right? Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. he's got a secret girlfriend in his dreams. I mean, this is this is like uh, if I had this superpower, I would maybe not be worried about having a a great job either. Working as a dishwasher, that's fine because yeah. every night I go yeah. to my world, build my mansion. That's yeah, yeah, the, the setup. The, the yeah. mansion made me think of a memory palace. Absolutely, I absolutely thought of that myself. It's mm. just like he's building, he's building us, he's extending it, he has rooms. He, it's like he decides I'm gonna have, he because he talks about well, he had built a kitchen at some point, and and this this hallway is gonna be blank, but he can fill that with stuff. And then towards the end, when when he introduces Raina to the section they're gonna build together, yeah, I thought this is to- totally stealing stuff from memory palaces. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! I hadn't remember. Yeah, yeah. Actually, now that you pointed out, that's a, it, it, which is t- back to Shakespeare. Uh, that that's a very medieval concept. Mm. Yeah, very, very classical education. Yeah, build your memory palace so you can store your memories and thoughts and ideas and walk walk through it to uh, to evoke them. Yep, stretch out of the classics. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the other thing that's kind of weird. I at the end of the book, he uh, we get the afterward, and. Russell James says, uh, "Yes, this is my, my my latest horror novel." And I'm like, "Yeah, is it a horror novel?" And I'm like, "There are some really horrific sort of you know gore scenes, but it doesn't strike me as a horror novel as much as a fantasy novel with some with some gore." Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, like you, we can get into my theory of what horror is. And yeah, okay, so my, my theory: horror is not a genre. Horror is a mode that you put overlay onto other other genres to provide a particular effect. Um, for example, the Adam Christopher science fiction novel *The Burning Dark*, has, which is set on a haunted space station, is not a horror novel. It has horror elements overlaid over the science fiction. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot of horror is urban fantasy with horrific elements laid down on like down on it but there's nothing that specifically says that defines a horror novel as a horror novel as opposed to just being a a shadow that you cast on a contemporary novel you can have contemporary horror like say like say a serial killer or you can have a uh, gore or you could have um splatter punk like say the uh, right. the saw novel the saw movies so horror is something you put onto something now this now this novel i is not as horror driven as I think. I mean, there are some really dark things, and there's implications of what the antagonist is planning to do, but he never quite gets there. But he does do some nasty, nasty things. But I never saw this in any way or near a horror mode. I mean, there's dark fantasy here, but it's urban fantasy too. <laughs> it's, it's urban fantasy. It's 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 set in set in uh, the mean streets of Atlantic City mostly, and yeah, and, yeah. and and in this dream world. Yeah. But it's not actually – you're not actually trying to the, – the novel doesn't seem to be trying to horrify you with what's happening. It's not trying to do what horror novels do. It's not trying to make you – I wasn't shaking in my boots at work listening to this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, some of those horrific dreams that uh, Kakumer sends and uses to uh, right. control yes. people—that, that, yeah, that you know—that's the meat and potatoes of, of slasher slasher stuff. Right. And, uh, some of it's pretty grisly, and and I, I appreciated that he got a lot more bang just by by uh, 
talking around it rather than talking about every single slice of the scalpel and blah, blah, blah. There was uh, a bit of that, He though, suggested like quite a bit of it, whereas yeah. uh, in contemporary slasher stuff, you have to uh, go into surgical detail, and I appreciate that, that yeah. he did not. Well, there's a, there's a bit of, you know, uh, what I never thought of, Paul, Paul I like your, your overlay idea. I, I always think of horror as being coming in two kinds. There's like body horror and moral horror, and I'm much more of a moral horror fan. Like, you know, uh, we were talking before the show about uh, Greek tragedies, right? Mm-hmm. These are they, they sometimes have body horror in them, you know, Oedipus's problems. Um, but they're not sort of lingering over the uh, uh, over the details of you know how many fingers he got into his <laughs> into his orbits you know <laughs> uh, it's yeah. more about uh, he is doing that because of his revulsion for what what situation he's in the moral situation has horrified him right uh-huh. and horrified or, the or audience like, like, or, or yeah or like the back guy where where the uh, who is it? Pentheus gets torn to shreds because he uh, watches the Bacantes doing their their uh, religious frenzy and they tear him to pieces. And uh, or, or, or Acetean sees uh, sees uh, Diana and uh, he gets transformed into a stag and his own hounds tear him apart. Yeah. 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 And you know, there's a, a grand tradition of that sort of in science fiction as well. Uh, some of my favorite stories are like. You know, three or four pages long, where you find out that the main character is sort of a, a child locked in the basement and is mutated horribly or something, and and you sort of figure that out as they're crawling on the ceiling of the leaving green trail, and he's <laughs> like, "Oh my God, the parents are monsters!" Ah, oh. child. Right? <laughs> Even though the child is also horrific, and you can sort of understand why they locked the child away. Um, that that sort of reveal of the moral horror. Is is quite powerful to me, but it, it is. There are a couple of scenes in here where you know the Kakwamer is uh, you know punishing his victims, sort of enjoying the 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 process of detailing that, and I'm like, wow, that really doesn't fit with the rest of this sort of fantasy romance. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. scare it's scare you to death. Yeah. <laughs> but then I was thinking, and that sort of thing just made me think about um, that movie we're talking about as well dream uh, no i was gonna say dream quest of unknown cadet not that movie <laughs> it's not a movie yet but um rather uh dreamscape from 1984 oh, i've never That's, seen that one it's a yeah. horror movie too as well as a dream movie uh paul you said you tried to watch it last night i tried, I tried to watch it but my uh my headache kept me from finishing it i got about halfway and the, but I did see there is a there is a definite horror sequence that I got to see where he goes into the dream of a young boy who's been plagued by nightmares and there's this this uh, reptilian creature that's chasing them and biting them and running down weird landscapes and then finally having to actually deal with it in a visceral and bloody fashion. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a you know you got to fight your got to fight demon. your demons. Yeah, that the symbolism in the movie was kind of. Handed over the head with the mallet, but yeah. Yeah, and the Dennis Quaid character is um, is uh, a dreamwalker, right? That's well, he, he's, he's, a, he's a psychic that gets trained as a dreamwalker. Yeah, but that's his. You know, that's the the science fiction premise right. is that he's got this machine 
that allows you to go into other people's dreams and it, it, it's sort of Inception as well, right? Yep. <laughs> Except Inception's a heist movie, right? With uh, I don't think there's any moral horror in there much at all. It's pretty light fare with regard to that. But this one is is set right during the height of the the Cold War, um, you know, with uh, Reagan in office and me plotting out how far away from the nuclear bomb blast I have to be in 1984. I was, it was really freaky because it starts with a dream sequence in which the president of the United States is seeing his wife being exploded. By a bomb, uh, yeah. Nuclear, nuclear bomb uh, hitting New York City with the Twin Towers in the background. Yeah, that, 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 that kind of uh, twitched me for a moment there, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, I can <laughs> write that skyline. And he, he has this recurring nightmare that's over and over happening. And that's sort of the the premise behind the plot of the movie, but it's this is it's it's like uh, Russell James hadn't seen uh, Dream uh, Dreamscape, just like you, David, uh, but sort of does something similar with this is a very rare phenomenon where people do have sort of an internet of dreams, you know, where you're not just a solo adventurer, but you are a participant. The only other person who I know has done this. Uh, Paul, did you read that uh, Roger Zelazny book? Um, oh, you Paul, Dream Master. Yes, absolutely, okay. absolutely. I, w- I wonder if James had read that, either the novella or the or the novel. Where, yeah, and there and there's and there's equipment and other stuff as as well to put people up in, into uh, because the because the main character now, as I'm recalling the novel, yeah, does this for a living. Basically, it goes into people's dreams and uh, help and. Uh, Works them out and and spo- we're spo- we're spoiling the dream master. Although you should read it, yeah. In the end, as I recall, he winds up getting trapped in a dream. It's, yeah, a, so, it's a downer ending for hell. So, so there's I, I haven't actually read that one, but oh, I was reading. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's quite all right. Um, uh, so there's that and and there's Lovecraft, right? Lovecraft got this the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. Yep. He's got. Oh, uh, yeah. King Kirani's in uh, Celepheus, and there's the White Ship. So there's a whole sequence of dream stories, but generally they're they're people dreaming alone, not interacting in the real world. And this is this is the only piece of fiction that I know about that is even close to like uh, this really great idea. Uh, and that's why I was so excited when I I, uh, I started listening to it, and I'm like, now, oh, I, I was like, I was likewise. The fact that you've got one guy who can go bit back and forth between the two worlds is cool, but then you find there are other characters who have the equal facility. It's uh, uh, and uh, they have uh, stories on both sides of, of of the fence, the real and the dream world, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the the plots weave together. Uh, you've got Cogwamer, mm-hmm. you've got uh, you've got Pete, you've got uh, Reina, and then you've got all the subsidiary characters who uh, who, who do have their pl- parts to play in the real world. Uh, I, I'm thinking of the one guy he, who's who's going to assassinate Pete at the bus station, and mm-hmm. and uh, it it's just it, for it, I it's a very unique concept and i think russell's done a wonderful job taking that ball and running with it too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean the this the sister relationship reina's sister and oh yeah her, right her, uh, her like uh, when we find out she says something like or maybe she just says it to herself or whatever 
but she's we find out that she doesn't have a body to go back to that she lives only in dream yep. mm-hmm. and i'm wow that's like king kiran he's in Celepheus from lovecraft um you know he died in life but lives in dream right right and and then we find out she's actually got a body but it's damaged and it's like wow this is this is the i, I was thinking well uh if you if you're in a coma are you in dream world all the time and well, you're not this is, she's, no she's not that's that's the interesting thing yeah mm-hmm. she has to actually be uh, uh in in rem sleep for for that world to to work for her mm-hmm. yep so, so there's a, another story by lovecraft besides uh, Celepheus that has this character who calls himself king karanis he shows up later in dream quest of unknown Kadath. there's also uh hypnos um, which is two people going on uh, dream quests. It turns out that there's only one, right? But um, that being afraid to go to sleep, um, I think this is really good because the voodoo aspect makes it uh, really spooky. I think this would be a very good movie, you know, in the transition. If you turned this very visual book into a, into a movie, I think it would be a... a I was picturing a lot of what was going on. Because I've been to Atlantic City, so I was <laughs> I, I was vividly reimagining the the not so great area away from the casinos that he winds up living in and working in. Yeah, and Atlantic City outside of that little strip is yeah not not the greatest not the greatest of neighborhoods, and he he captures that really well. I was a bit curious about that. I've never been there. Yeah, I've, I've only it, seen, you know, the the the, the, gle- the gleaming the gleaming world. Because once upon a time, Atlantic City was a tourist town. So basically, you know, people people from the north would come down and stay there, stay there for a couple weeks in the summer and whatnot. But as you know, as things moved on, it dried up as that, and so it was really falling apart just mm-hmm. before the casinos came. And now, as the casinos are being supplanted by casinos much closer to New York City, that Atlantic City is, 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 is sliding down and yeah, sliding down into ruin again. And yeah, it's not good time. It's not good times for Atlantic City. I mean, no. I, I went there a couple of times with my family for you know, go right on the bus to go to the casinos. I never went into the casinos really. I liked wandering the boardwalk, eating saltwater tapping. He never eats saltwater tapping in this in this book, which doesn't which even mention me. it. Which yeah. annoys me because when you go to Lake City, you're not gonna have uh, not gonna have saltwater taffy. Shame on you! All right. I did. I did want to go to that Italian restaurant though. It's, all that garlic sounded really good. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's good. That's good. North no, East Italian cooking. Yeah, I, I, I could just imagine that lasagna. Oh yeah. How do uh, how does how does the Atlantic City as pictured in this book compare to the Twin Moon City? That I I wanted to spend even more time exploring that landscape because. I thought I, I thought I was visualizing what it was like, and like, is there two moons in the sky? Is uh, you know, there's furniture thrown all over the street. This is very, um, very symbolic stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. to to cities feels to me, and I believe they make uh, points in the text about it that it's basically pieces of other dreamers' worlds being merged into one large town because because. Uh, because at one point Raina talks about new sections, and they, mm-hmm. it takes time for them to wind up getting degraded down because of the, uh, because of uh, Kakwamer's uh, 
legions of uh, zombie creatures destroying it. Yeah. So I I wanted I want to know more about that. I was like, how mm-hmm. do, how does Twi- how does Twin City get built? How does it extend? When when would say our main character bring in a section of his own? How does that actually work? Do you have to die to bring in a section? And if mm-hmm. I mean. So I want to, I want to, and of course, I mean, by the end of the book, Twin Moon City is no more, but I, I like that when we were talking before about the shared landscapes, I like that idea where dreamers are bringing pieces of individual dreams together into one large, one large shared realm and experience. And you can wander through the city and go from, go from Jesse's, Jesse's area to David's area to anyone else's area. And they're, all different and that kind of reminds me of some of the weird shared reality worlds not dreams. Like Second Life, right? Like, 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 second, like second Life is a very good uh, virtual reality example of that where you can just like wander around and go into some very different places but they're all kind of connected somehow and you can meet people who you can also meet in the real world who are also meeting this uh, other side of the mirror as it were. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other things about, you know, comparing this, that virtual reality Second Life thing is some people, like, they just went crazy with it, right? And then they just build an entire city within their space. And other people, they, you know, they build a hill and then that's it. And it, it, it's like that, how, in, how seriously do you take your dreams? How seriously do you, you uh, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I have very strong dreams that I um, if I'm if I'm diligent about it I can totally detail down in a dream journal but I'm mostly happy just to have them happen but I think if if I had sort of a a crappier day life <laughs> I might retreat as do many Lovecraftian characters and I think um, our main character John oh, I was gonna say John Pete Pete, Pete um, uh, I I would think you know, that is, it's kind of like when people are depressed, the main thing they do is sleep, right? Mm-hmm. Because the waking world is horrible, and the dream world is either uh, absent of horribleness or pleasant, generally. And yet, there's also that sense, when you're a kid especially, I, I don't have a lot of nightmares anymore, but uh, when you wake up from a nightmare and you're afraid to go back to sleep. And I think this book has all of that going on. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the experience. It's, it's also a nice light book compared to a lot of the, I was just did Moby Dick. And <laughs> oh boy, that book is, it's, it's big and every chapter has, you know, a million quotes that you can quote from it, but it's, it weighs upon you. Uh, it buoys you up, but also it has a lot of mass. And I'm going to have to go back and read that again very shortly <laughs> just to <laughs> finish it off. Make sure I got uh, a, a, a ninth of the, you know, the tenth that's there. So, um, yeah, this is a, a a very fun book to think about while you're listening to it. I, I think the novel, now to get into a little bit more criticism, I think the novel gets better as it goes along. I wasn't quite sold on the way he structures his flashbacks at the beginning because they felt kind of jarring. Like, oh, well, suddenly jarring, look at the ba- past of Cockman, and suddenly look at the past of this, and suddenly look at the past of that. Once he, 
and they they felt like a bad gear shifting in a car. Like a man was just like, oh, we're gonna do this, and now we're gonna go back to that, and it didn't feel like it flowed. So it's just like suddenly I need, to, almost felt like suddenly I need to put in some backstory to flesh out this character, and I can't do it in the present, so I'm gonna do it in the past. Um, and sometimes it didn't work out that well. It, and it just felt like a, a, almost in a kind of a weird like character info dumping some ways. But once he gets past all that, and it's about the, it's about at the halfway point where we get that big reveal spoilers that yes, Raina is not dead. Then then I think the novel finally really gets its footing, and then then he then he then we start answering the questions that we've set up, and we can just go with it. But it, it takes a while to get get through those gears yeah, i think I was, I was very worried that this is going to be a, a series book book one you know <laughs> like oh. not wrapped up uh, uh, at all yeah and i was very relieved that that was not the i mean maybe it is going to be a series but it it's certainly it's self-contained yeah it and could that, definitely there could be a follow-on but that that doesn't seem to be his original idea at least with mm-hmm, it yeah. mm-hmm and uh, I mean, I, I I quite like Pete as a character, as a sympathetic figure, um, having trouble in school, um, not because he doesn't want to be there, but because you know his he, he can't relate to a, a lot of people around him, and he's got a learning uh, disability. He's got a learning disability <laughs> that uh, I mean, I think this is this is the most interesting thing that sort of undercooked in the book and one of my favorite phrases undercooked i I like the undercooking because it allows me to do some of the cooking myself you know um but it it, basically visual processing disorder is what we all have in dreams right Mm -hmm. because things don't make sense you know people mold into other people halfway through they transform into other people situations that um you know call themselves a library turn into a cave you know um, things that are uh, one way at the beginning of a dream are completely overturned and inverted and yet seem natural mm-hmm. um, at the end of the dream. And his real world is like that. But in the dream world, that setup, I, I went back and re-listened to the beginning of the book. Um, he he actually has a very clear vision of his of his mansion that he's always building and working on. Right? Yeah. And at the end of the book, I thought it was very clever that he rebuilds it right piece by piece mm-hmm. in anticipation of, of uh, making it his dream house for his dream girl. Right. 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 Isn't that, isn't that interesting that um, he's got this disability in the real world that is an ability is like, uh, we all have the visual processing disability in dream world, but he has it in our world and he has cl- clear vision or lucid vision of right. dreams in his dream world and has a lot more control over what's going on. I rarely, rarely have sequel dreams where, you know, it follows on from the previous night. Right. Very rare. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I've, and that's normal. I've never had sequel dreams like that, but I've had dreams in a in a alternate different pieces of an alternate geography sure. New York and I've had dreams set in that different parts of that, and I know I'm in this alternate New York and then if I it, again and again so I have like almost like a geography of this uh, my own twin moon city in in a way and, and it's mm-hmm. a very it's a very strange and f- twisted uh, version of uh 
New York City, but I, it's mine, and I've just kept building on it by dream after dream. Yeah, uh, what, what's so amazing to me is that this feel, like I said right at the beginning, it's a, kind of a workmanlike writing. It's not Lovecraft, and it's he doesn't spend you know hours crafting each each sentence, you know, giant four hundred word sentence into <laughs> a you know short story miniature um, thing that's going to live forever. What in? But what he does do is he litters the landscape with um, so many seeds that allow you to plant, participate. Like some writers, they just tell you everything, and he this guy's good. He he doesn't tell you everything. He plants the seeds. So one of the very first things that we see in Twin Moon City, I think it's in Twin Moon City. It's in one of his dreams, anyways, is that there's a furniture store, and I actually put that in my illustration. Um, Oh, in yeah. which the furniture's all been thrown out onto the street, like in disarray. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of a really good, one of my favorite uh, Guy de Maupassant stories, which is about a guy who, you know, Guy de Maupassant, like uh, Lovecraft, uh, has insanity in the family, right? Um, but more importantly, he's the guy who's insane. So there's this story called um, Who Knows?, about a gentleman who lives by himself and one day finds that his furniture is fleeing his home. <laughs> just like wandering out of the house and, you know, into the woods. Hmm. And he like freaks out and runs off and <laughs> says to the servant, um, uh, let me know, uh, <laughs> If you hear anything, <laughs> not saying exactly what's going on, and he goes he goes off to the south of France for a vacation uh, to flee, you know, this horrible incident and trying to get his back <laughs> to flee his, his fleeing stuff. furniture. Exactly, and he finds himself in a furniture store, uh, you know, in Nice or something, and there's his furniture in the store, and he's like, somebody's stolen it and sold it, and whatever I experienced before was not right. Hmm. But then, hmm. but then, um, we get a second sense that this guy is checking. You know, he goes to a doctor and checks himself into an insane asylum, basically. And at the end of the story, um, your your furniture. He gets a phone call or a, a text, uh, not a text message, a tele a telegraph from his servant saying, "Oh, the furniture's all returned." And then he leaves the the um, insane asylum and returns home wow. and we get the sense that the doctor has just come in and said sir your faculties have returned you may leave the house so like the furniture of your mind right uh, it's it's like a uh. symbol that I, I don't know if russell james did that on purpose but it works so well to seed sort of the feel of what's going on the the taxis with the twin um uh, on my drawing I only had the one but on in the in the book the taxis have two crossed um palm trees oh one yeah black yeah white. Yep. and that of course makes us I don't think it's ever stated in the book but it's that's the symbol that Cockermere has around his neck well, on a chain right well, no right. Pete 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 uh, picks up on that that the, oh does he okay. Yeah. Oh, I picked up on it too. And I'm yeah. like, oh, maybe, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, who knows what is? Is it Pete knowing it or I knowing it? Is the those those snakes right? Yep. It's like mm-hmm. transformation from one thing to the other thing. 
It's it's cool. Yeah. And I, I think, like, is Twin Moon City in the Caribbean? It feels like it's in the Caribbean to me. It, it, I, it, it, feel, it felt hmm. like Twin Moon City felt like to me like some sort of su- like Caribbean or South American wrecked landscape sort of city ruled over by a, a despot. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it, could, it, it could be an alternate Port-au-Prince for all. For yeah. all it could be, all you wanted up, set up as we, such. We do get a little uh, snippet in Port-au-Prince, or at least in Haiti, right? Right. From uh, uh, right from right from the uh, from the seer, right seeing and her background, seeing the, the and, and, and also Quakomer. No, no, she's from the Dominican Republic. Quakomer's from uh, Haiti. She's from the right. Dominican Republic. She's in the eastern part of the island. Yeah, but Quakomer is working like at a moped shop or something. Yep. Before he's and he's yeah before he's seized by his uh, demon. And so uh, the other thing is like in <laughs> you know. Paul, you asked, you, you didn't request as much as expect that I was going to do a, an illustration. Yeah. In doing the illustration, I, it's very hard to depict uh, a whole book in one image. So I'm doing like parts of it and thinking what should be here. One of the very first things that I thought of was the street name, was named Nameless Street, right? And nowhere, and like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> where's Nameless Street? Oh, that's where you're going. You're going to Nameless Street. And then... Uh, I was thinking, well, what about uh, Reina, right? She is, I think she's supposed to be white because she's got blonde hair. I don't think it ever says she's white. That's but true. I, think we, I, I, don't, I don't recall that he specifically says Caucasian or not. Yeah. No, but he definitely, he definitely fixates on her blonde hair again and again. It's, and she also has emerald eyes, right? Emerald eyes and blonde hair it makes you think, oh, she's supposed to be white. But uh, Pete... Also, um, I think it's supposed to be white. I don't know that that it's just because he, you know, nobody reacts to him as a black man or anything like that. Um, but Cockwomer is obviously supposed to be. He's got dreadlocks, right? Yeah. So I was like, how do in in depicting what I'm seeing, what you know, in my own head, I actually made her black. Hmm. And even though she's she's blonde, right? I made her black. And I was thinking that it's because it's in dream, things are like that. They're visually uh, weirded, right? So that um, it, and it also seemed to balance out um, because the bad guy was a black guy. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the good, the good girl is a black guy too. <laughs> um, have, have either of you seen uh, the movie when, Where Dreams May Come? No, I haven't seen that one. That, no. that, that's the Robin Williams one. Yeah, that's oh, that one where he dies. Where he dies and goes to heaven, and and at one point, yeah, and 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 he's looking for his children, and and his children have taken, and one of his children took a different form, and he didn't recognize who, and also one of his best, it's a form of his best, one of his best friends, and his best friend actually turned out to have taken a different form himself, and so there's this whole, this whole, uh, and because it just, and uh, Robin Williams says, oh yeah, because dream doesn't. Form doesn't matter up here. He said, "No, that's not it. It's because it's, we want to we want to show things so we don't get uh, the truth of who we are in the way of each other." And so it's like, so so for you, that seeing her as a as a black woman is getting to that essential truth of the character mm-hmm. and reflecting her against Cockwomer, even if she's described as Caucasian yeah. in the book. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, it, what's so strange is that I'm pretty sure that Russell James 
would not say, yeah, she's she's a black woman, right? Like when he's pictural, picturing her, I'm going back through the book and saying, you know, why am I picturing her this way? Mm-hmm. Um, it's because it's in opposition to the bad guy, right? She's the good girl, and and yet she's also a sort of a dream figure in the same way. And in dream, hmm. people blend together, and people are. It, it's it's like there's a love hate relationship with Haiti in this book, you know. Oh. Yeah. Um, it's scary, but it's also adventure, right? It's uh, frightening, but it's also attractive. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. It just it seemed right to me <laughs> well, <laughs> in a way that dreams are well, like that. Well, here's, here's well that also takes into something that niggled me a bit about this. So mm-hmm. so we start off. He's in he's in Ithaca, and he's having his normal dreams. And he mentions he sees Dream Girl there. Mm-hmm. But then he has to, or thinks he has to, move, and the, in the in the Dana moment, move to Philadelphia in order to be able to dream with her. But he was dreaming with her. Now, was he dreaming with her in Ithaca, or what? Yeah. Or, or did she just, or was he not? He was just dreaming a Dream Girl, and then once he got down to Atlantic City, that be, became a. Uh, Active and not not to mention um, the geography doesn't feel right. I'm, in other words, I didn't buy that he had to move from Ithaca to Philadelphia in the end. I thought he could he could stay in college and still have his nights with Raina. I'm not right. sure why he had to. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of a night nice neat ending. But in the dream, uh, she I, I liked also that she she doesn't have her own mansion, right? She has a ship, mm-hmm. right? Right. She right. she's on a ship, and that the the you know, and trapped on that like, ship. It, it, this whole novel could be retold from her point of view, you know, as a prequel or something. Not that I'm suggesting you got to write a prequel. I'm just saying, in thinking about how what's actually in the book, I actually think Raina's story is actually even more interesting. Um, she is sort of, I mean, it's sort of summed up by her title for most of the book is Dream Girl, or yeah. at least the book is Dream Girl, right? She is adventuring with him. She is not adventuring, and and there's another adventure, right? It's it's sort of his view of her, in sort of a you know youthful young man's ways. I have a dream girl. She looks like this, mm-hmm. right? Um, so she doesn't have her own autonomy at the beginning, but by the end, um, and we get some of that backstory. I'm I'm like actually I'm not so interested in this Pete guy. I'm more interested in Raina's story. Yeah, I mean she was willing to uh, basically go follow her sister into death, even though even though she didn't to try to save her. That's that's a I mean I mean Pete Pete, Pete sort of gets drawn to uh, Atlantic City by uh, by the seer, and how that exactly works is still mm-hmm. is never really explained that well, and it. I mean, I mean, the, the, the seer feels a little guilt of having done this because she, because she puts uh, Pete and Peter into danger. But just how, just how she, I mean, that would be, I mean, it was a little too early in the book. I mean, later on we get that lovely scene with the antelope, mm-hmm. and 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 as a message of a, of a lower to uh, somebody in a dream. But that initial uh, inciting incident that draws him to the next city does feel a little, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it feels like it just needed to happen to get him to Atlantic City, and again, then again, again, I guess you would have a much less interesting novel if he could just dream from Ithaca and not have to have that 
have to be living on these streets of Atlantic City and being having that that dual threat with Cockwomer in the living world and the waking world. I'd like to know more how this works. So what's the range of this thing? So, so yeah. I mean, okay, so being the same city, can you? Eat? I mean, and he's, and he's dreaming rain, and rain is rain is up in Philadelphia. So how far do you have to be in order to be able to share this thing? And and after what sort of distances there's not, and if you have moved to a different part of the country, you wind up with somebody mm-hmm. else's twin new city. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. <laughs> We may have to have another one. <laughs> well, I, 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 what I like is that it allows sort of this speculation as to what's going on. One, one other thing, did, did he take the bus or did he take a train at the beginning? I can't he remember. Now. But I think it was a bus. Okay, so he's on the bus, and then there's this sequence. Um, I guess it's at the bus station. And I'm, not, I, I'm trying to think if it ties in later, but it's so important it seems at the beginning that it must do something so there's this soldier who's on the bus right who gets off the bus and uh, pete overhears the entire sort of situation oh, overhears the conversation and also sees the smile on the father's face right mm-hmm. so he gets off the bus the says hey i'm back from the war or whatever and i love you mom and he hugs his mom and the dad gives him a firm handshake with one swipe down right and then stern face and but then says i'll take your bag and then as they're walking away the father uh behind the rest of the family uh offers a smile to the world that the son will never see and like what does that mean because does this show up later and i i i I, I think it's a thematic uh I think it does. Foreshadowing of Tommy's return. Yeah. Right. Right. But but and in itself doesn't mean anything. It's just like it's just 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 to reflect detail. forward. Yeah. It's reflect yeah. forward to when Tommy comes back from from college and and then and then the near tragedy of what happens to him. Hmm. Hmm. But yeah, it's it's like one of those car- one of those little moments that, and yeah yeah it's like I want to know more about what happened to the assassin for example I liked her yep. she, yeah, she, she shows up and disappears and it's got to be a sequel because the, this character you know introduced we get a bit of her story she's got her her concerns and then sort of she drops out of the story and I'm like okay that's that's a bad sign there's gonna be a sequel oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. scene wonder but uh, I don't think. I think that that's sort of this is an entertainment book. This is not designed to, you know, languish in a drawer for 60 years un unloved and then be discovered and people, you know, like Moby Dick's right. a complete critical flop when it comes out uh is forgotten until 70 years later when somebody says, "You know what? This book is amazing." And then everybody goes crazy for it, right? This is a this is sort of a meat and potatoes uh i mean i think we even get that in the afterward this is my uh i don't know what book number it is russell james but it's not his first it's not his second right he's and he done a lot of research for it this is this is what working writer books look like i almost never read them hmm. i only read weird books from 50 years ago it seems now or more or a, you know, a working writer from 50 years ago, not like a modern. Uh, I make my living writing book, and yet I still liked it, even though it's it's one not of those. Not your wheelhouse. Yeah, it's a consumer. It's a consumer 
you know, I got to get the next one. What's next? Yeah, sort of. well, I, I wish I wish this had more mass market appeal because I think it's a wonderful piece of work. I think it's very niche. In, in niche. I guess right it up, is. But, uh, but I, it's it's got a lot of content. Right? It, it's I mean, it's amazingly deep. Uh, it, yeah, for seven hour book. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was just taken completely by it. Uh, terms of and this is probably related to nothing but i'm also reminded i don't know if you know pirandello the playwright Mm-mm. uh well there his fa- his most famous one and he he explored the difference uh, he he was very much into virtual reality and what is reality and his famous one is six characters in search of an author I've heard in of which that. uh six of characters from an unfinished play show up in a theater and they want to be put on stage so they can live <laughs> And uh, that gets into really interesting what's real, what's what's virtual. You know? But the one play of his that I adore is called Henry IV. And we're not talking about the English Henry IV. We're talking about the German Henry IV, the uh, German emperor who upset the pope. And I, I don't remember the details, but he had to go on his knees to the pope at Casona and uh, kiss the pope's ass to get... Uh, back into the church or uh, or not excommunicated or something like that. But he, he's an historical figure that uh, we Anglophiles usually don't know much about. But mm-hmm. the play is called Henry IV, and the first act, you think you're in a Shakespearean play where you're recreating this guy's court, and uh, it's this odd play about Henry IV. And the second act, we discover it's all a, it's a, it's all a charade. It's a rich guy who had a riding accident and struck his head, and uh. now he thinks he's Henry the Fourth, and everybody has to pretend to be part of his court, and so everyone is playing to his fantasy. In the third act, we discover that Henry the Fourth is quite sane. He knows perfectly well who he is. He's just enjoying watching these people go through these contortions. Hmm. You know, he's 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 playing. Um, uh, Henry Higgins, the puppet master, making all these people do all this stuff just for his amusement. So it's several different layers of reality which uh, cross to cross over each other, and they have very interesting uh, um, harmonies and reverberations with each other. And it's another play on the what is reality type type concept. Uh, and I'm thinking about you, you as the as the actor on the stage. This is uh, this is why I think you know you're probably enjoying audiobooks because it, it, so many voices in this in this book. You get to play the bad guy. You get to play the girl. You get to play the hero. You're also all, all the zombies. All the zombies, right? <laughs> you're everybody. Yeah, right? yeah, it's fun. Well, there's an interesting story about that, especially, and it's was very spooky, actually. Um, as I was reading the book, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes a character will just not sing to me. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll read a paragraph and I know whose voice it is. And with Kakwamer, uh, within one or two pages, once I the character was set, I knew exactly who he sounded like. He sounded mm-hmm. like Jeffrey Holder, the uh, guy who was Baron Samti in Live and Let All Die. Right. Now, I actually had a class from that guy when I was wow. at Yale. Uh, 
So I knew him very well. Uh, his voice was really set in my head. He was, he was an amazing artist, uh, an amazing Renaissance man, a huge, huge man with a, uh, 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 a James Earl Jones, Paul Robeson, mm -hmm. deep, deep voice. And within a paragraph of reading the character, oh, I know who this is. This is Jeffrey Holder. And mm -hmm. that's how, how I voiced him. Later, I was talking with Russell or emailing back and forth to Russell about how the characters happened. And when I had shared with him that this one jumped out at me as Jeffrey Holder, he wrote back and says, that scared the piss out of him because that's exactly who uh -huh. he had in his head when he was writing it. Yeah, now, now I'm reevaluating Cockwomer in terms of living. And live and let die. Yeah, I can definitely see that now. But yeah, that come, that really comes that comes through now. Mm -hmm. I, so, I, I I was trying to think more Serpent and the Rainbow as I was watching this, but I should have thought of Live and Let Die. Well, this is more uh, adventure. That that's that's really you, hard. Yeah, is, that's this hard. Is, yeah, this is a horror book though. Even so, like it does have those those sort of horrific torture dream scenes, and um, it's 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 scary. Um. What do you do with the just the the plain vanilla protagonist? Is I, I I'm trying to think back as to how he, it just sounds useful to me. Are you doing anything there? Um, well, the rule of thumb in audiobooks is when you're voicing a protagonist or the main voice, you keep that as close to your own natural voice as you can. And for me, when I need to go younger, I go into my upper register a bit. Right. Instead of talk from the chest, I'll talk more from my head and, and through yeah, the there mask. you go. There you go. Right there. I just heard him there. I just heard her direct. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's just a question of where I place the voice. So I've got a, a mature me and I've got a younger me. And the, when, I, when I have to do protagonists, that's, you know, that's kind of where those will fit. Nice. Well, I, I think we're getting close to the end, if not the end. What, what, any, anybody else got anything left? Not um, just yeah. buy the book. Buy the book. It's yeah, a, it's the, a good one. It's a good only, one. It, the, it, it deserves only. more airplay. It deserves more listeners. Yeah, yeah. I, I I was appreciative that you thought of me when you you uh, recorded it. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, I went. Um, I, I I especially liked this one, and I think it's especially neglected in the marketplace it's uh, mm -hmm. well, uh you may be right it may be a niche market it may be neither fish nor fowl for the guys who want nothing but non-stop slashing but i i thought it was and it makes you it's it's very good food for thought too it's it's not just pure entertainment it will get the uh little gray cells working <laughs> no i i think i think it it, it it's just compared to moby dick i mean it is it is a thinking book yeah. But it's in a it's in the niche market of sort of the consumable book, the person who's always buying, you know, the new like I think the majority of people on Audible, you know, they buy more audiobooks than I do. I'm I'm a slow reader, one book a week maybe. I think a lot of people are three or four books a week. Yeah. And this this one I think is designed to be in that sort of ah, what's next? Right. Yeah, sort of yeah. This is a, it's a pop book. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't actually only work at that level. It has that. But it has because it it has this sort of the premise is so different, right? Mm -hmm. The premise is so different, and and the way it's developed is it's pretty damn good. I'm it's, a, I agree with you on that. 
as uh has uh there been any other books by russell james that you've looked at because uh actually i've never heard of the guy voice two others he's got a series uh i think it's a series i i i've done two of them dark inspiration and dark vengeance now that those two are much more conventional horror uh, there's mm-hmm. not nearly the uh, the 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 crossing of realities uh, to the extent that we have here. It, it, it dark vengeance, dark inspiration. It's uh, much scary? more Amityville, uh, rural horror, or uh, it's uh, uh, they're really very very good, uh, but. Not at all the kind of conceit that we have with Dreamwalker. So mm-hmm. Dreamwalker seems to be uh, uh, just kind of an out of the blue shot of inspiration, <laughs> and I don't know if he plans to do any more in that world or not. Mm-hmm. So th- those are a series. Uh, yeah, Dark Dark Inspiration is the first one, and then there's Dark Vengeance, and I think at the end of that he mentioned that he might go back there for a third, but I don't know if he has yet. But uh, Dark Inspiration to, uh, is available at Audible. Um, Dark Vengeance was recorded, but I don't know when that's going to be produced. It's, uh, you never know. And this is through Audio Realms and then into Audible, right? Correct. Oh, cool. Correct. Yeah. Audio Realms uh, is, is the company that found me Wayne June. And oh, wow. I think, you know, anybody who they, – they, they pick great narrators, David. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> uh, I'll bring to that. <laughs> um, absolutely. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Thank you, Thank you. My pleasure, Paul. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.